Amen. Well, as we continue, the ushers will be collecting tithes and offerings. Let's join our hearts and voices. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. Declare this with me. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. To break every chain, to break every chain. Oh, we declare there is power in your name. All sufficient There's an army 
chain, they'll break every chain, yes, break every chain. Send the army, Lord. There's an army. I pray that today you would come in your power. You would break chains in this place. Pray that you would break chains of depression. Pray that you would break chains of addiction. And there's many things that I could name, but Lord, I, you know those chains. You know those individuals, and I pray that our spirits would be open to what your spirit wants to do here today to break chains set sinners free. Lord, that spiritual warfare that's going on in our behalf, we join with the multitude in lifting up the needs here and ask you to do a mighty work among us. Come, Lord Jesus, in your power and have your way. We will give you all the praise and all the glory as we express the freedom that we have in you. Come, Lord Jesus.
So I'm curious, have you evidenced, seen with your own eyes the power of Jesus' name? Have you seen it? And if you have, recall the moment when that reality first came to you, when Jesus' name and the power of it was on display before your very eyes. We're going to be in a text today found in Luke chapter 10. So if you have Bibles with you, you can go there. Uh, our ushers will be glad to provide you one if you do not have one. And if you do not own a Bible, please, please, please take these Bibles uh, as, a, as a gift from us to you. And we'll be on page 724 in the ones being handed out. I remember the very first time that I saw the power of Jesus' name on display before my eyes. It was Halloween back in 1988. It was just during my senior year of high school. And on that night, there was a Christian rock concert going on at a shopping center out in the parking lot. It was a band called White Cross. Now, if you, any of you have listen to Christian metal. <laughs> it sounds like some of you might say, what is that? But uh, um, it was a Christian metal band that was doing a free concert outside on Halloween night at a shopping center. And my friend and I went to the show. We're there, we're, we're enjoying the music. And uh, I, well, me and my mullet, were throwing it around a little bit. Um, having a good time. It was a lot of fun. And uh, and then the, then the tone of the music took a little bit more of a serious turn, and they were playing a song that was more of a ballad, and it was talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. My friend and I were standing, just listening to the song, and the next thing we know, the girl standing right in front of us began to fall, well, she fell to the ground, and she began to scream. And then the scream turned to a sound that I don't even know how to describe other than it was screeches. This gentleman that was uh, clearly a youth leader there uh, was standing with his youth group kind of off to our right, comes running over, and, and we're just kind of standing back like, what is going on? And, and we see this man and another woman come over, and, and, they, and they said, and the name of Jesus come out of her. Now, I've read the Bible, because I, again, I'm pursuing ministry. I, I had already felt my calling of God upon my life to go into youth ministry, but I've never seen what just happened in that moment of, to that time. Literally, at the moment they said, in the name of Jesus come out of her, the screaming stopped, the screeching stopped, and peace came over her face that was a, clearly a transformation. Okay, you're 18 years old at this point, and you've just seen something that was very startling and strange, and, and you're not knowing how to handle the moment. Two people who do come in, that happens as described. How do you interpret that as a kid? Ooh. That was intense. I remember talking with my friend saying, I've never seen anything like that. And we were just amazed by the moment. And then we were talking about how did those two people know exactly what to do? 
And they, they came in and they, they weren't, how did they know this was a demon and not some seizure of some kind? But they just knew it instantly and they responded. So whatever rose-colored glasses I had about the realities of the physical realm as attached to the spiritual realm were completely shattered. My, def, my understanding and definition of two realms all of a sudden was right before my eyes and I'm realizing there is flesh and blood, but there's also spirit. The same kind of awe and the same kind of bewilderment and also excitement, like fear then met by peace. Fear or feeling ill-equipped then met by confidence. And then yes, fear, feeling incompetent, met by rejoicing. Luke chapter 10, let's, let's pick this up. The context is that Jesus hasn't yet chosen his 12, but he has his 72. And, and he's sending them out for the first time away from himself. So they've been walking with Jesus these 72 people, they've been walking with Jesus. They've been observing him. They've seen his power. They've seen the manifestations of his words, uh, showing authority. But now Jesus is saying, okay, it's your turn. I'm gonna send you out and I'm not going with you. So verse one says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out by two by two ahead of them to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. I'm just gonna stop there for the sake of impression. All right, so your mentor, who's been equipping you, been modeling for you, now says it's your turn. And he sends you out now, fortunately, two by two. So it's not a case where they're alone. But then he makes this comment. By the way, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, all of these men, while they not, were not necessarily shepherds in their prior uh, professions, they understood the weakness and the vulnerability of a lamb as compared to the ferociousness of a wolf. And he's just described them as being lambs being sent to go out to the wolves. What kind of a commissioning is that from your mentor? Do you think they left his presence like, all right, we can do this, let's do this, let's show our mentor that we can do this? No, 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 no. I am pretty confident based on that and based on the description of even the 12, that they went out fearful and trepidatious. Absolutely not wanting to go away from, well, Jesus, can't, can't you just come and coach us along as we're doing it? No, no. Two by two, you're going to all these different towns that I'm about to go to, and I want you to prepare the way. So they go out. It gives them a few more instructions after that lamb among wolves comment, but let's pick it back up in verse 17. The 72 returned, but they returned with joy and said, Lord, 
Even the demons submit to us in your name. Even the demons submit to us in your name. And they're saying this with joy. Can you imagine that you were sent out with incredible amount of fear, a sense of incompetency, feeling like you're being sent out to fail so that your teacher can point out your inadequacies. You go out and to your surprise, everything you'd seen your mentor do, healing people, casting out demons, speaking with authority, all of a sudden, you're doing. But they say, Lord, this is happening in your name. Continuing reading verse 18, then Jesus replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So they returned excited and amazed, just like I was when I went to that concert and I saw this initially fear and trepidatious, but by the end, like amazed and pretty excited about the fact that I saw two people pray over this girl and released from the demonic oppression. I was amazed. And my friend and I were like celebrating it like, wow, Jesus' name is pretty powerful. And here, these same disciples are having the same experience because they saw Jesus do it, so it had become an expectation that Jesus could do it, but they had never considered the possibility that Jesus would empower them to do the same. All in Jesus' name. And then what I love is how Jesus responds is that he actually celebrates the moment with this, this uh, visual picture of seeing Satan's kingdom falling and crumbling. It's a little bit as close to trash talking as you're ever gonna see Jesus do. It's like, boom, he did it. Satan fell, yes. And it's a high five moment with his followers saying, this is what I meant when I said you are gonna have authority here on this earth to overcome darkness. Now they believe, they've experienced it. But he says this little caveat at the end. Says, in Jesus' name, your names are also included in heaven. Celebrate that. You see, he didn't want them becoming self-confident. Look what we did in Jesus' name. But rather celebrating the fact that because they're in Jesus' name, they're able to anticipate not only power and authority here on this earth, but to anticipate eternity because their names are written in heaven. So it's a dual experience of in Jesus' name, because of that, our names are then included in heaven. Now I want you to turn to Acts chapter 19. So that was the moment, so it's turning to the right in your Bibles, and it'll be on page 773 in the Bibles we handed out. In Acts chapter 19, you now have seen what has happened with those 72 about three years later, about three years later, post the cross, 
post the resurrection, post the coming of the Holy Spirit, and post much of the church being established throughout the realms of Judea and Samaria and the fringes around that and even into other parts of the Roman Empire. So you have the movement of Christianity has now grown. What had become something that was a surprise and a shock back in Luke chapter 10 is now the norm for the early church. That in the name of Jesus, there was power. In the name of Jesus, there is power. And wherever they went, God put his power on display so that they could grow the church in Jesus' name. And, and it, with power being manifested like that, you can only imagine the crowds that would gather. If you heard that people were being healed in a particular place and by a particular people, you would draw there. You would go there to find out what is actually happening, to test it. Well, the crowds were coming, but some of them were coming because they themselves needed healed or somebody they cared about needed healed. Others came to judge, but many came because they were curious. So find, in verse 11 of chapter 19, you're going to see something absolutely crazy and ridiculous to believe. But it's here in scripture. It says this in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. All right, that sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? I remember when I was younger, you know, we got on the mailing list somehow of a particular evangelist and in the mail, there was a little splotch of cloth saying that this evangelist had cried a tear over that cloth. And if you held that cloth, you, whatever you had would be healed. And this was mailed to my parents. My parents are sitting over here. They probably know exactly which evangelist I'm talking about. But I remember asking them, is that true? You know, it, <laughs> I mean, again, I'm only like 11 or 12 years old. So it's very fascinating for me to think that somebody could tear, tear up onto a cloth and then that cloth could be mailed out in the U.S. mail and then arrive at our house and if you touch that to a wound, it would heal you. Now, I will admit this and my parents, again, this is so weird having them in the church. <laughs> but I'll admit that I took that cloth and I put it on a wound and said, heal me. <laughs> Didn't work. But imagine if it did. And it was. And it was happening. I don't understand why God was doing that and, 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 and manifesting his power in this way, but clearly he was cementing his name upon the culture there. So in this, people were simply letting things that had touched Paul end up creating curings and healings, even when Paul wasn't there. Imagine how popular Paul had become. Verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits <clears throat> tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus 
over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? In the name of Jesus, <coughs> whom Paul preaches, come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish, of the, the, the Jewish priest at the time. So these seven sons would be the heirs of the priesthood. They are going to become the priests, and one of them is going to become the chief priest once Sceva goes away and passes away. So these were in line of being in spiritual authority. So these seven sons of Sceva, of the, who was the Jewish high priest, were doing this. In other words, come out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. <laughs> when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Power draws crowds, doesn't it? There are people that, that, that I do believe are given some manifestation of God's power and have shown literal aspects of being able to heal. I also believe that that's been tainted. I believe there's falsehood sometimes in that. But I am very careful to not call something that might be of God evil out of fear of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're called to test the spirits. But I will say this. Power draws crowds. It just does. If something seems supernatural, it will, bring a, it will draw a crowd even in today's culture. They, we are very fascinated with the supernatural. Look at the titles of our TV shows. Look at the titles of our kids' channels. And you'll notice that a lot of it is in fascination of the supernatural. Power draws crowds. Secondly, the popularity of that power appeals to our pride. You see, these seven sons of Sceva, they had no worries. They were going to be given a mantle of being in authority with power given to them as being part of the priesthood. But the popularity of the Christian movement because of the power actually being manifested, they wanted some of it. They wanted the same popularity as Paul. <clears throat> so what did they do? They mimicked it. And I might add, successfully. If you look in the text, it says there were people going around driving out spirits. And then it says, and some of them who were doing that were the seven sons of Sceva. So there had been success, which then means that a complete unbeliever can invoke the power of Jesus' name and there will be response. Is the power in the, in the unbeliever or is the power in Jesus' name? 
So in this text, you have an example of where people who didn't even know Jesus invoked the name of Jesus and demons were submitting to it. But you need to understand, there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And you need to also know this, not all demons are equal. That's clearly exemplified in this text. Not all demons are equal. So in this case, they had been successful prior to that, but now they ran into a demon that obviously was of a higher authority and higher rank and higher power. Just a few weeks ago, I'd shared a, a passage in scripture where it talked about the disciples had been casting out demons, but they ran into one that they couldn't cast out. And Jesus says, well, that's the type that, must, that requires prayer. Not just simply invoking the name of Jesus, but requires prayer. So there is a ranking in the spiritual realm. And they ran into it. But also you need to look at this text and say, look at what the Jews and the Greeks responded after this moment. They realized that Jesus' name was not something to be messed with. There was an honor that was now given to Jesus' name that meant that you should not use it inappropriately. The disciples were using the power of Jesus' name to accomplish God's will. When others tried to mimic it, they found some success, but then they run into the fact that they actually don't know Jesus. They had to invoke the name of Paul. Uh, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. But to their embarrassment, they ran into the authority of a high-ranking demon. And they are now humiliated. Imagine the storyline, because this was done in front of a crowd of people. Did you hear about the chief priest's sons? One man beat them all up and they ran out of the house, bleeding and naked. But they'd also heard that they had tried to invoke the name of Jesus. So this phrase, and from that point on, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. People did not just simply try to use it as a gadget, but rather realized that they must know the real Jesus to invoke that name. The reality of the spiritual realm does change how we pray. I can tell you that back in 1988, when I saw that moment happen right before my eyes, that the way I prayed from that point on was different. Because now I realize that it's not just flesh and blood, but there is also a spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So while there might be a physical battle going on that we actually can interact with and, and see tangibly, behind that is a spiritual battle going on. I prepare the teams that I take to Africa. I prepare them 
for the understanding that there is a spiritual war that is going on that they will see when they go to South Africa. Because in that culture, Satan's best tool is to be overt with his power. Because power in Africa is best utilized in fear. That's culturally how they operate, is that leadership means you must create fear in the followers. So for Satan, it means be overt with his power. But in America, we run from fear. We don't like to be afraid. So Satan's best tool is to be covert and to not ruffle the feathers and, and to numb us out to the reality of his work. It shows up occasionally, but for the most part, he wants to numb us out that he's not moving when he actually is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of the dark realms. And if in, at the end of the armor of God statement in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, in light of having said our battle isn't just against flesh and blood, but it's against these spiritual authorities, it says this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You see, we're called to be aware, not to be dumb, not to be naive, but to be aware. And I believe that God gave me at 18 years of age a gift of pulling away the curtain just a little bit for me to be able to see what's actually going on around me. And it changed me. It made me pray differently. So we're, to, we're called, in light of this battle that is not just flesh and blood, but also something that's underneath that layer, which is a spiritual battle that is raging constantly, that with that in mind, we're to be alert always and to keep that in mind as we pray for the Lord's people. There's no greater example of this in Scripture than what is found in 2 Kings chapter 6, and it's going to be on the screen. The context is this. Elisha is now the prophet of the Lord, and he's the one representing God's people. He has been giving advice to the king of Israel, whispering in the king of Israel's ear, saying, by the way, the king of Aram is going to attack you in this valley, so don't go to that valley. This kept repeating itself over and over and over again, where Elisha would speak into the heart and mind of the king of Israel, protecting him from this great army, the king of Aram. But now the king of Aram is getting frustrated. How is it that I show up here and Israel goes there? How is it this keeps happening? And then one of his servants tells him, Elisha is speaking into the ear of the king of Israel. And he is knowing the very things that, he says in, that you say in your bedroom. This infuriated the king of Aram. And so he gathers his army up and he goes to where Elisha was living because he doesn't want this prophet continuing to thwart his actions. So this is a flesh and blood context, right? It's a flesh and blood army. It's a flesh and blood battle between the Arameans and Israel. So this army an army is sent to this small town where Elisha was living. But during the night, this happens. 
Verse 15, when the servant of Elisha got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. He prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he can see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills around them filled with horses and chariots of fire, all surrounding Elisha. Can you imagine being that servant who now all of a sudden the curtain's not just cracked open, it's wide open. He was seeing a flesh and blood army surrounding them. But what he couldn't see was a massive army of the Lord that was surrounding Elisha, protecting him from the army that was coming against them. This awareness was going to change the servant's spirit. But it's also that awareness that caused Elisha to not panic. Elisha wasn't panicked because he was aware. He knew that the Lord was working on their behalf. So he simply prayed, open his eyes, Lord. Let him see that you're here. So all this to say, Jesus' name is powerful. And we have power in that name to do great work. Do you believe that? Jesus' name is powerful, and because of it, you and I have hope for eternity. And we can celebrate that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all because of Jesus' name. But it's also true that because we're in Jesus' name, we're surrounded. Shouldn't that give us confidence that when you feel like you're beaten down, when you feel like the, the enemy is winning the day around you, that if you believe in Jesus' name, ask, God, help me to see that you are right here with me and you're surrounding me. Maybe God needs to take the barriers off your eyes so that you can see and realize the power of his name is way stronger than any adversary that could come against you. Consider the words of this song. Fight my battles And this is how I fight my battles And this is how I fight my battles And this is how I fight my battles 
Jesus' name, <laughs> all that can be accomplished is beyond the finite minds that we carry. God, I don't know what battles are being fought in the individual lives that are here. But God, I ask that if they're fighting a battle they shouldn't be fighting because they're fighting from the flesh or they're fighting for the wrong thing, God, may that be revealed to them in Jesus' name. And God, if they are fighting a battle that they are standing on the righteous side and they feel like the battle is being lost, would you pull back the curtain? Maybe even just a little bit, just so that they can see you're right there. You say in Hebrews 1 that you send your angels as ministering spirits to each of us. We're thankful. And I'm also glad that, God, I'm not able to see all the spiritual realm going on. I'd probably run. But God, may we not be so naive to know that you are doing work and battle around us constantly. And that in Jesus' name, we're children of God, so therefore we carry your protection. And so Lord, when we pray over people, when we pray over situations, may our hearts be so aligned with your will that we pray according to that will and in Jesus' name, we see amazing things happen. So God, hear us in that. And I know you do. But now give us confidence to walk out knowing you've got our back because you are behind us, you're beside us, and you go before us. We'll walk and step with you in Jesus' name. Amen. So go confident. If you know Jesus Christ, go in confidence knowing you are surrounded by his armies. But if you do not know Jesus and you're like those sons of Sceva where you know about him, but you do not know him, this is a day where you can pray with somebody. Maybe somebody brought you, you can pray with them and give your life to Jesus Christ and know him personally. There'll be people underneath the cross who'd be glad to pray with you. If you have any issue that you need prayed over, they'd be glad to do so. But go in the power of Jesus' name because that name is amazingly strong. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.